Welcome to Beef and Forage Roundup with host Chantal McRae. This podcast is a production of Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiatives, created to share information with farmers, producers, and agriculture enthusiasts to showcase the important work that is happening at MBFI. Our podcasts drop on the first and third Wednesday each month. We will be sharing information through interviews with General Manager Mary Jane Orr, project leads for various projects, MBFI team members, speakers from our extension events, industry leaders, and industry suppliers. This podcast will dig deep into on-farm research and field testing practices related to beef cattle and forage production and efficiency and sustainability of practice in the agricultural industry in Manitoba. We will be sharing information on upcoming training and workshops, field and farm demonstration tours, education materials and events at MBFI, as well as producer profiles from around the province, and information on their own trials, challenges, innovation, and results. We encourage you to browse our social media accounts and website for links to more information on projects, upcoming events, and important deadlines. Information on our social accounts and website can be found following the show and in the show notes. As always, we encourage you to email us if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for the show at information at mbfi.ca. Welcome to today's show. Today, we will be speaking with Mary Jane Orr, who is the general manager at MBFI. Mary Jane, thank you so much for taking time out of your day today to meet with me and talk to me on the very first episode of the Beef and Forage Roundup. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Great. So before we jump right into talking about MBFI, can you tell me a little bit about your research history and your background? My research history has been fairly varied. Um, I started off um, doing my undergraduate degree at Brandon University, um, where I studied botany and geography with almost three to four years studying mycology and soil. So it was studying those little microscopic fungi that live in the soil that specifically attack and degrade um, hair and nails and hooves, like keratin degrading fungi. Had a really exciting opportunity to work with Dr. Wendy Unterreiner. And that was what got me really interested and passionate about understanding microorganisms and their role in the environment for ecosystem processes. So she used to say, if we didn't have these keratin degrading fungi, we'd just be living in mounds of hair that would never be degraded. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) it was pretty neat to study this one group of organisms that produce this one enzyme that would degrade keratin containing composites and understanding how different environmental factors might shift their populations. So that experience at Brandon University really got me thinking about academic research as a whole. Previous to that, I thought I was going to be a teacher of biology and geography in a high school somewhere, but getting to do that in-person lab experience really got me excited to keep asking questions and and using all these different neat technologies to understand what's happening in soil. So from Brandon University, I went off to Indiana and did my PhD. I was studying all organisms in soil, but specifically in agricultural systems. So in the Indiana Corn Belt, looked at how growing, I think it was about eight different cropping systems. So we had perennial prairie, like big blue stem prairie replicated paddocks. We had switchgrass and miscanthus. So these are big perennial plants and growing those for cellulosic ethanol compared to like a corn rotation with soybeans or continuous corn with tillage or continuous corn with no-till and sorghum. So all these different 
cropping systems and growing them according to their own best management practices? How did these management systems influence and change the nutrient cycling dynamics in the soil that are driven by microorganisms? I spent about six years dedicated to trying to understand how when you change a management on the surface, how it impacts those invisible microorganisms that are driving all of those processes. And ultimately, what that means for soil carbon storage and what does that mean for greenhouse gas emissions being released from the soil surface. My focus kept getting more and more narrow, uh, but I got my PhD. And then I had an opportunity while I was a postdoc there to work with Eileen Klidivko on kind of, um, you know, those side projects that you get the opportunity to work on and you never really realize just how impactful they can be. But this side project was actually a really fantastic um, initiative they took, I think it was in 2012, 2013, working with federal researchers, USDA, Indiana Department of Agriculture. I'm not going to remember everyone that was involved, but they brought in 12 farmers, Indiana farmers across the state and brought in different cover cropping practices and set it um, in collaboration with the farmers for them to do replicated strips on their farms and to really field test how those different cropping systems practically worked on the farms with their farm equipment, but then how that translated into measurable outcomes in the soil. So then, you know, you had this fleet of academics all run out in that a soil sampling uh, frenzy and when going across all the different farms across the state and collecting samples before and after in this real world application and then um, sending it to I think four different labs that all evaluated soil health metrics. And so they generated massive amounts of data um, related to soil health or soil microbial community measurements. And so I got to participate in the project to help sift through some of that data evaluate it in a way that you could visualize similarities and differences between farms across the state, but then also if you saw changes between the treatments within the different cover cropping systems that they were testing. And so that was my first opportunity to shift a little bit away out of the lab, I guess. And I had to present this synopsis to a group of farmers, you know, in a community hall in middle of nowhere, Indiana. It was such a humbling and eye-opening opportunity for me to answer their questions and to actually put my excitement about just studying systems for the sake of studying systems into what does this mean for my farm and how does this apply to my management decisions for this year, whether or not am I improving my soil health with this cover crop or am I not? And what's my soil health look like compared to my neighbors? And what can I do if I'm on a sandy soil versus I'm on a, you know, more of a clay loam soil? And so to kind of have those discussions was so grounding for me and opened up my eyes to this whole world of opportunity to apply this academic knowledge into a much more applied setting. And, um, and that just so happened to line up with when I was getting close to wrapping up my postdoc. And I was really interested in moving back to Canada. And so um, my job search was soil in Canada. And (laughs) with not being bound to just academics anymore, because there's this whole world of extension and working with farmers and producers that just made a lot of sense to me and made me feel a lot more energized about the work, seeing the impact more directly. And so I took a position in LaBrokery, Manitoba, working for um, High Life 
which is a hawk production company based out of southeastern Manitoba. And I had the opportunity to work as a manure management planner there. And so that is the most applied application of understanding nutrient cycling as I could possibly have had. And that was a fantastic four years of my life where I got the opportunity to do straight up agronomy, working with barn managers, working with sustainable development in Manitoba agriculture, to work with all the different municipalities and all the different neighboring landowners to really maximize the fertility of using hog manure as a, as a fertilizer while minimizing any potential environmental outcomes from its application. So that was, yeah, just a very fantastic opportunity to really build my straight up agronomic skill set, while also really with that focus of kind of that interconnection between sustainability, understanding how we can improve farming practices to still be practically and economically viable in farming, but also using our knowledge and doing it in the best way possible to be sustainable or improve our our sustainability as we move through it. And from there, I had the opportunity or became aware of this position with Manitoba Beef and Forge Initiatives as they were looking for a general manager. And so after coming from a small cow-calf family operation just south of Carberry, so I grew up raising cattle and trying to grow small grains and putting up hay. So I kind of gone from a farming background and shifted heavy into more of an environmental slant. And then I've just been a slow curve all the way back to working in agriculture again. But bringing along that understanding that we can we can do farming well and we can do it by increasing our efficiency as well as focusing on how we can be productive but also in, in an environmental context so this job now i'm um, working as general manager for mbfi is really kind of a sweet spot across all of my previous experiences with my PhD and postdoc experience, I can utilize that academic lens to think about how we can approach different challenges in on-farm research and on-farm demonstration, but really enjoying the straight-up agronomic understanding and production practices that are applicable in real world, because ultimately, if we're trying to drive change, it has to make sense for the farmer, both practically, like, is it even feasible to do, but then also, more importantly, is it even economical to do? So. That um, combination of experiences is really allows me to kind of strike on all the different areas that I find really interesting in driving sustainable change in agriculture. So neat that all of your experiences kind of come back together in this whole circle to bring you back to where you are right now with MBFI and having that um, position right now that entails both that cow-calf operation and all of the crop side, working with the farmers and producers, um, offering the extension events. So it sounds like you're a really well-rounded person to be in this position from your past experience. What year did you start at MBFI? And what do you think that your favorite part about your position would be with MBFI? I started in September of 2018, which feels like yesterday, but then also a million years ago. (laughs) (laughs) And my favorite part, um, I guess I would have to say it would be a split between just getting to have person-to-person conversation with with farmers, with producers, to hear about what they're doing on their own farms and then how they're creatively addressing challenges on their farms. I am so inspired by the homegrown innovation that's happening in Manitoba and then to kind of feed off of that inspiration and how can that 
be grown to benefit more producers across the province. And then I would say kind of comparable to that is having the conversations in project design. So if we're sitting down with staff and we've gone to some conferences or some field days and we've seen some really interesting ideas, like how can we, how can we make that go at MBFI? How can we make that into a project? Could this be something that um, an academic researcher could come in on? Like, how can we set the stage for pushing some of the innovation that's already happening, learning from farmers and making connections with having that uh, academic research on the farm as well? We're going to talk a little bit more about projects in a minute. Um, But before we do that, for the listeners who maybe don't know maybe anything about MBFI or who know a little bit, but maybe don't understand all of the background about how the organization works, can you share with us a little bit about how the research station works, maybe funding wise, about the board of directors, partnerships, and that kind of thing? For sure. MBFI really came about um, to fill a gap in the need of on-farm demonstration, livestock and forage extension, and on-farm research in Manitoba. And I would say even a little bit of Eastern Saskatchewan, we can we can cover just the gap that was there. So in 2014, the Brandon A. Canada Research Station beef program was wrapping up with consolidation of the beef research out into Alberta. And um, Manitoba Zero Till Research Farm was slowly wrapping up some of their efforts. And so it was this kind of coming together of opportunities that uh, Manitoba Agriculture, uh, Manitoba Beef Producers, Ducks Unlimited Canada, and the Manitoba Forage and Grasslands Association, those four associations came together recognizing that there's an opportunity to create a not-for-profit organization that could really fit into that niche of creating space and facilitating academic research but really also being a demonstration farm. So you can drive that hands-on learning of understanding new practices, putting some economics of cost of production behind some of the different practices that may be tested and a place that people can come to and see things themselves and ask questions and hopefully be encouraged to make an adoption or a change on their own farm. And so those four partners coming together basically would be what we call our core foundational partners. So they are represented in our board of directors. So we, as a not-for-profit organization, our membership is the 14 Manitoba beef producer directors. And then our board of directors has two representatives from the Manitoba beef producers, two Manitoba beef producers that are just producers at large in good standing with MBP. And so right off the hop, we have four board of directors that are beef producers themselves. And then we have a a appointee from Manitoba Foraging Grasslands Association. We have an appointee from Ducks Unlimited Canada. And then we also have a Manitoba Agriculture appointee. So we have a board of seven with representation from our four core partners, but then also just generally just producers at large that are nominated for being recognized as being innovative and leading in the industry as well. And then below our board of directors, we have the two biggest committees would be our partner advisory committee. And that's where really the operational side of each of our partners gather quarterly kind of in advance of our board meetings so that we can really get the boots on the ground perspective and insights into what's happening in the industry across our four partners to really be advisory and guiding our direction and our delivery of our programming and our mission statement. 
So with that makes up our, you know, the general manager, or the executive directors of each of those uh, core partners. And then the other big workhorse is the research advisory committee. So that is a group of 12 people that has uh, representation across academics. Each partner group has appointees on that committee, as well as a number of, I think it's six producers at large that are recognized as being innovative. And they put in a lot of work in reviewing all the proposals we have come in and making suggestions and recommendations on the types of projects that we have happening. And both the partner and the research advisory committees um, make recommendations that are taken up to the board and decided from there. What would you like the listeners to know about MBFI's missions and goals? Our mission, in short, is really just three E's. We engage, we evaluate, and we extend. Building that out is that we engage with all stakeholders that are involved in the beef and forage industry. And so that includes the public, producers, industry, not-for-profit organizations, different extension agencies. It really is any and all stakeholders involved in beef and forage. We want to be involved with them, having conversations, learning how we can learn from each other and how we can support each other as we try to advance the industry as a whole. We evaluate. And so that's evaluating on-farm innovation that might be something Uh, crazy and kooky that you saw on a YouTube video and we can, you know, take a kick at the can and see if it works on one of our farms. But it all also might be something that isn't, you know, new and exciting and, you know, the next greatest thing, but it is a a proven, well-documented, beneficial management practice that we really want to be showcasing so that we can encourage producers that maybe they haven't taken a look at it, or maybe they've been doing just fine with how they're making their own choices, but there's an opportunity in evaluating beneficial management practices that may inspire producers to make a change, even when they've been operating the way that they've always been operating. And then we also create space and facilitate academic research. And so that on-farm evaluation, that evaluate E, is really important across multiple scales of kind of scientific rigor. So all the way from doing work that'll be peer reviewed and published to replicated on-farm research for the purpose of demonstration, all the way down to case studies where we might just be showcasing a product or a piece of smart farm or precision ranching technology just to show how it works. Going on from evaluation is extension. So that extension of all of that engagement and all of that on-farm evaluation We communicate that back through multiple different channels back to all those stakeholders just to uh, share that information and hopefully drive change across the landscape. So if one of the listeners has one of those kooky ideas from YouTube or something that they're really interested in finding out more about, how would they go about, say, submitting an idea for a research project or how do those projects start at MBFI um, or to kind of find out more about things that maybe are one of those best management practices. The easiest thing would be to just call me and my contact information will be shared at the end of of this podcast. But we also have a standing page on our website where it's called producer ideas and it's just a, a fill form. And so they can enter in their email address and their contact number and they can kind of describe what they'd like to do and we'll follow up with them from there. Those would be the two most straightforward ways. And there's no intake time. So if anyone wants to start a conversation about something that they've seen on our website or seen at one of our communications, 
will be available to answer questions at any time. And then if they think that we absolutely need to be doing something, they can submit that idea at any time. Depending on kind of project availability, uh, we do have a formal intake season, but we can really take the ideas at any time because it takes, you know, multiple conversations to flush those out into what a project may or may not look like and really refining the question that we want to ask. Um, sometimes the question is just, will it work? And sometimes the question is, how many more days of grazing? Or maybe the question is, how many more pounds of gained weaning weight am I getting based on some different management practice? What are some of the projects that are currently underway or projects that maybe listeners, if they're interested in specific topics, could try and follow along with or listen for this year? We've just wrapped up six years of projects and completing those final reports and then working hard to be creative in how we communicate some of the key findings of those reports. So stay tuned to MBFI's website and to our social media for those results that are going to be coming out. But we did do an intake this last fall, and we had a number of projects come in with really diverse opportunities to evaluate beef cattle production and forage production. Starting off, we really want to focus on grazing. So we have uh, two summer uh, farm stations, uh, one at Brookdale Farm, which is about 180 acres of perennial pasture. And so on that land use history of being a previous six years of making a comparison of how does planned rotational grazing improve productivity relative to a continuously grazed system, we're transitioning that into evaluating how different utilization rates are going to impact productivity. So looking at kind of the take half, leave half model versus like a total graze or a high utilization graze. Whereas at the First Street Pasture, which is located 11 miles south on the North Hill of Brandon, we're going to be focusing on the same utilization, but changing the grazing interval time period. So looking at current rest periods and how that may improve productivity or maybe change plant community structure. But ultimately, we're looking at about how does our grazing management impact our future productivity and pasture health assessments. So those are kind of two projects that are tackling, you know, grazing management and how do we graze. We're also doing a benchmarking project. So that's looking at our whole farm. Like, so oftentimes if we're doing projects here and there, we have gaps where there's pieces of land or management that is just purely for the farm operation to keep the farm going, because we are a commercial cow-calf operation that we're targeting 150 pairs to be calving out each spring. And that forms the foundation that allows us to keep the farm going and the farm, you know, the cows need to be fed. They need somewhere to go 365 days of the year. So they may or may not be part of a specific project, um, depending. So this benchmarking study that we've brought in is really going to be looking at the whole of MBFI's operations holistically and picking representative areas to set up benchmarks and then track if it's in a pasture, like pasture health, as well as the, the forage productivity, as well as pasture health assessments um, and below ground health. So how is all the different metrics of soil health changing over time with land management information going along with that? So previous PhD Mary Jane's getting super geeky and excited about that one. Just to have an idea of what do some of these soil health measurements look like in Manitoba on two very different soil types. The other one that uh, had really high ranking in our research advisory committee is looking at diverse annual crops. So we grow all the feed for, for our livestock. When we're growing green feed, 
as a farm management, we have internally just started growing much more diverse intercrops for green feed as opposed to just pure stands of say barley or our oats. But the question is that we're wanting to get at is how does growing a diverse intercrop for green feed, is it going to increase the, the forage productivity? So are we getting more pounds of dry matter per acre from a monoculture compared to a diverse intercrop? Are we having more or higher quality aftermath grazing? So if we take that green feed away, is the regrowth potential higher? And how many more days of grazing are we getting out of an annual field that had a diverse intercrop grown for green feed versus not? And then also, is that diverse intercrop changing the soil below it? So are we seeing an improvement in the soil structure or soil carbon, um, water infiltration, all those measurements? And so those would be the kind of the top ones that are top of mind when I'm thinking about what we're going to be busy doing this summer. But we have a number of other studies that are in collaboration with academics. So we have ongoing research with Jillian Baynard from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. We have a second year study with Katerin Rochon from the University of Manitoba evaluating tick abundance in pastures and on livestock and identifying the presence of diseases. As part of an ongoing case study is evaluating our own herd development. So when we started off, you know, at any young farmer, you just, you just buy some cows and you get some cows that are going to calve. And that's what we started off with. Um, but as we've been growing and developing as an organization, we identified herd goals where we really want to have a herd that is selected to perform well under April, May calving that calves on grass with little assistance that has a strong mothering ability with moderately framed cows that have a low maintenance that are going to perform on a primarily forage basis on primarily extended grazing basis. And so as we've identified some of our herd goals, we've uh, come up with a herd plan that's been turned into a case study of strategic herd development, really looking critically at how we call cows and how we select replacement heifers and how we select bulls. And that's been a case study for the last two to three years, but we had a really exciting opportunity to become a collaborating site with Susan Marcus from Lakeland College, where she's doing a study looking at how you can use technology with selection of replacement heifers. We had a case study in place that allowed us to transition fairly quickly into becoming one of the study sites for this broader academic study. And that really in a nutshell, represents some of the strengths of being an operational farm in that having the facilities in place and already having case studies running that may not be designed at the academic level, but can quickly have the rigor of them increased to meet the academic standard when we have collaborators come in place. So that one I'm pretty excited about too. Some of the technology we're using on our heifers is, is pretty fascinating to see some of the data we have coming off of them been reading some of those reports and kind of looking through a lot of that information, especially on the selection criteria that is being used at MBFI. And there's so much really interesting information, especially from a cattle producer's standpoint that I would really encourage our listeners to try and follow along with. There is just so much really great stuff that is going on at MBFI right now and so much important work that is being done for the agricultural industry in Manitoba. And because of that, we've decided to split this introductory episode into two episodes. Stay tuned for part two of my conversation with Mary Jane, where we will be discussing upcoming extension events and more about MBFI. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm.
research programs and daily operations at MBFI would not be possible without funding from the Province of Manitoba, Government of Canada, and the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, as well as the partnerships with Manitoba Agriculture, Manitoba Beef Producers, Ducks Unlimited Canada, and the Manitoba Forage and Grasslands Association. On this very first episode of the podcast, we want to send a sincere thank you to all of these organizations for making MBFI's work possible. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beef and Forage Roundup. For more information on the on-farm projects or upcoming extension events, please visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at mbbeefandforage. For full project reports and more information about MBFI, please visit our website, mbfi.ca. If you have feedback on the show, questions about content, are interested in becoming a project supporter, or want to submit a proposal for a research project topic, please email information at mbfi.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an upcoming episode. We've got lots to share.